0: Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast.
1: Welcome to episode number 17 of the GateWorld Podcast. Today David and I are talking about a very special topic with no new episode of Atlantis last week on Halloween. We're talking about the characters in Stargate Atlantis and Stargate SG-1 that we lost too soon. We'll also give you a preview of our upcoming interview with Paul Brown. President of Legends Memorabilia, and there's also more Stargate news, features, and listener mail. Bend your ours and get in your micta groove. The Gate World Podcast starts right now. My name is Darren Sumner, and David Reed is here too. Yes, I'm here,
2: and I can speak for myself. But I, I appreciate the option, though. I'm trying to think of new uh. ways
1: to introduce you every every week. David is uh, an awesome guy. David is, uh, uh, works on GateWorld. It's kind of like, you know, it's like
2: at the end of Letterman, when they have worldwide pants, the announcer always says something different. Yeah. I mean, how many things can you come up with? Uh, and we're not that creative, so. I, I gotta mean, be on. more creative.
1: I know it. Stargate News. Here are your headlines from GateWorld for November 4th, 2008. Titan Books is getting ready to release the fourth season's
2: installment of the Stargate Atlantis official companion series. The 160-page book features behind-the-scenes interviews with cast and crew, an episode guide, 16 pages of color photos, and a special introduction by Atlantis co-star David Hewlett. Look for it at bookstores November
1: 28th or pre-order it right now at GateWorld.net. Stargate Universe is on track for its summer 2009 premiere on the Sci-Fi Channel. Sci-Fi.com posted an update on the show last week, indicating, among other things, that a first draft of the pilot episode is due by the end of the year. That's a good thing, considering the show is scheduled to begin filming in February. Reps from MGM and the network met in September to hammer out and agree on the show's creative direction, and casting on the show is also well underway. The story from SciFi.com also confirmed what executive producer Joseph Molazzi told fans on his blog several weeks ago, that story ideas have been generated for the first five episodes of Universe.
2: I have to say, it's a far cry from the shallow confection many fans are imagining, Malazzi wrote on his blog. In fact, in many ways, it's a much more cerebral and mature addition to the franchise, while firmly entrenched in pre established Stargate mythology. Stargate Universe definitely strikes out in an exciting new
1: direction. End quote. To keep tabs on the new show as news develops, visit gateworld.net slash universe. <laughs>
2: And she played Dr. Janet Frazier on Stargate SG-1 for seven years. And now actress Terrell Rothery has landed the role of a lifetime. She gave birth to a baby girl on October the 3rd weighing 6 pounds 15 ounces. Terrell posted the announcement on her official website at TerrellRothery.com. Congratulations go
1: out to this terrific actress and entertainer and her husband. Yay Terrell. GateWorld Features. GateWorld's new interview with Stargate SG-1 makeup artist Jan Newman is now online. Jan discusses things like the origins and complexities of those Jaffa tattoos, aging members of SG-1 in various episodes, and working with the likes of Chris Judge, Richard Dean Anderson, and the late Don S. Davis. It's a video interview that runs nearly half an hour, and it's ready now at GateWorld.net. You were looking forward to this interview. What would you think of it? Don't ask me that. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, you're fired. I will. I'll watch it. (laughs) I watch all your stuff eventually. That's good.
2: It's good to know what's on your own site. Yeah. Your mother may know him as Mr. Sheffield on The Nanny, but to many SG1 fans, Charles Shaughnessy is Stargate's answer to Tony Stark. Alec Coulson was the billionaire entrepreneur who had a history of personal tragedy and vowed to set things right by using his company to support change. Only change included the truth at all costs. In a new interview with GateWorld, Shaughnessy discusses his SG-1 episode, Covenant, the implications the show raised, and his hopes for one day returning to the franchise.
1: I'd like to see this character return. Uh, Alec Coulson was actually originally written to be potentially recurring, and so I was kind of surprised in season eight that they didn't bring him back. As was he 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 was very disappointed that they that they
2: never got him back. He always figured that he 'd be in a in an, uh, a big open space on alpha sites, um, making new inventions, and just being ready for the call whenever whenever his country or the the stargate program needed him and It just never
1: happened you know there were a lot of earth based episodes that that the show did from time to time um, that that involved things like the trust and the NID and and various agencies and and government organizations, uh, and I found for the most part those sorts of storylines were uninteresting until we had a character like Alec Coulson who was really relatable. And I think if you mm-hmm. would if you would have kept a recurring character that was Earth based like that, it would have been a lot more interesting to me than than going and and seeing you know some random guy who worked at the NID. Oh. Head over to Gate World's Stargate Image Gallery now to find the first photos from Vegas. A very special episode of Stargate Atlantis set to air in January. The episode is written and directed by series co-creator Robert C. Cooper and features a unique look at John Shepard and other Atlantis characters. Eleven photos are now in the gallery, and we expect more in the weeks to come. But as always, beware of spoilers.
2: Vegas is going to be interesting. I mean, I'm not a Soprano fan, so if I'm supposed to get a kick out of, of Soprano guys playing cards... I'm just not.
1: (laughs) So My guess is that that poker scene is probably just going to be a fairly small part of the episode. And finally, we're prepping another brand new interview to launch later this
2: week. Paul Brown is the head of Legends Memorabilia, which you can find online at StargateProps.com. Legends sells official props, replicas, autographs, studio art, scripts, and more – from Stargate SG-1 and Atlantis. We caught up with him at GateCon in July for a video interview in which he talks about cataloging the vast archives of props and costumes that come his way, the detail put into building replica Stargates and Zat Guns, and his working partnership with Richard Dean Anderson. Here's a preview for podcast listeners.
0: One of the joys I've had is is filtering through the things that we have received from the studio over the years. And, And recently, only two weeks ago, I came across something that was just to me wonderful piece of history and I mentioned history because you mentioned history and uh, it was the original an original used call sheet from day 1 of children of the gods so the very first call sheet and the very first day of the of the series you know and i looked at that piece of paper it was all kind of crumpled and wrinkled up and be folded in and out a few times and I thought my goodness this is a piece of paper history this needs to be framed exactly and it's going to be Um, (laughs) absolutely along with the Charles Dickens and the other great pieces of paper memorabilia I think are special and um, one day we'll make sure that that gets on somebody's wall and uh, it'll be very special right now it's something I want to hang on to because yes I am a Stargate fan and to me it is rather special it's difficult being a collector and a fan. Yeah, especially uh, when you have, have all these. these. Exactly. You know, you, so we have to be somewhat selective. Tune
2: into Gateworld later this week for more with Paul Brown or subscribe to the Gateworld Interviews podcast
1: on iTunes. The main discussion Our main discussion topic this week is the characters that we lost too soon. Now this is kind of a difficult one to to qualify what what it is that we want to talk about here because there have been a lot of characters on both shows, obviously, that have gotten killed off. Stargate writers, you know, David, they like to kill off their their recurring characters a lot. In the limited time that we have, we want to talk about main characters or characters that are really frequently recurring characters, not just occasional. As much as we love Martouf and we love Jacob Carter... And, and those characters had really significant deaths on the show. Um, maybe we'll talk about them in another podcast. So up front we'll say we can't cover everyone. Uh, and, and also I want to say that when we're talking about writing a character off a show, especially when it's a main character and it's a character that, that is really well loved by fans, a character and an actor who who have big fan followings, Um, it's inevitable that we as viewers don't see the whole picture. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. There are inevitably going to be production issues that bring about cast changes that viewers are, are simply never privy to. We don't know if it's the network didn't like somebody or somebody's difficult to work with on set or the studio asked for, you know, a major change on the show for one reason or another. Um, so, you know, we're going to try to limit ourselves to the characters more than the actors, I think.
2: Yeah. Well, often when I'm at a convention, a fellow fan will approach me and say, you've, you've been on set, you've been behind the scenes, why did they let such and such go? And I just have to say, well, you know what? Not everyone is cut out to do series television, like Stargate. You know, it's very, very demanding. Mm-hmm. And we We have no idea. We've gone to set when lunch was at four or five o'clock in the evening and they're going to work into the midnight hours it's not for everyone
1: (laughs) yeah it's just that these these guys their job is very public and you know how many reasons can you think of why you would potentially lose your job either whether it was your decision to leave or or you were let go there there are a thousand reasons that you could possibly come up with so and it's none of our business to know yep so we want to make sure we're not criticizing the actors, we're not criticizing the producers or the studio for making these decisions, but we're really talking about the characters and, and how we think the characters worked on the shows, and if if we think there was maybe more story potential. If if all those real life production issues were not an issue, you know, what what's the potential that these characters had for more storytelling? Mm-hmm. So first up, we're gonna do a few from SG One, then we'll switch to Atlantis. Of course, the big, the big guy in uh, the middle of SG-1's run who came in uh, when Michael Shanks departed the show was uh,
2: Corin Nimick's Jonas Quinn. Corin came in in the season five episode Meridian, uh, very l- lanky and small compared to his return in season six in which he, I, I swear, gained 50 pounds, you know, yeah, right. and just buff and, and huge. See our recent interview with Corinne for more. Corin was brought in because there was a hole on the team with the absence of of Michael Shanks. My, Michael went on to pursue other things, specifically a movie career, and he um, and so he dis- he decided to to leave the show very amicably. Obviously, he returned later, mm-hmm. um, but for a year, Corin was there, and he filled that role of of Daniels while while Daniel was obviously ascended and going around around the universe. You know, benefits of his character were he, he could consume information very fast mm-hmm. and retain it, um, which meant that he could become a member of SG-1 in a very short period of time.
1: Yeah, he, he could digest all of Daniel's notes and all of the SGC's mission reports very quickly, and, and it got to the point really quickly in Season 6 where he was citing past SG-1 mission reports. What do you think of the the decision that was made to... Use Meridian, the same episode that Daniel died and ascended in, to introduce this character. In hindsight, I
2: think it caused a lot of controversy, mm-hmm. um, and I think uh, I think it was a bold decision uh, because you, because of of what happened. You know, I mean you had you had Jack O'Neill calling Jonas and his race a bunch of lying bastards, and that stuck with a lot of fans yeah. because a lot of fans. If the main characters have an issue with someone, then the fans have an issue with someone. Yeah,
1: he was not only replacing Daniel, and Korn was not only replacing Michael, but Jack didn't like him. Jack and and, and O'Neill never really
2: warmed up to him. He did a little, you know. He, he respected him, I believe that, but he never palled around with him. Yeah. And for the record, he didn't really pal around with Daniel either very much. He was much more home with Teal'c. But, you know, there was always an arm's length, uh, element between Jack and Jonas. And that that grew um, a, a rift in fandom that uh, hasn't been seen before or really since, thank God. Mm-hmm. You know, that was just huge stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, Michael came back to do the show from yeah, and
1: season we, seven onward. We didn't know, as we marched through 22 episodes of season six, of course, we didn't know that Michael was going to come back to the show full time. And that Jonas was going to be written out. So this right, was a character. Exactly. The, the show had just moved to Sci-Fi Channel. It found a ton of new viewers and new life. So it looked like the show might go on for a while. And, you know, we thought that Jonas was going to be around. Jonas was going to be a permanent team member. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And it would have been interesting to see what would have happened
2: had the uh, the uh, group become a member of five you know mm-hmm. where Jonas was allowed to to hang on but he probably would have been a fifth wheel in the process because he was specifically established as a replacement for the archaeologist uh role you mm-hmm. know on the team so
1: overall you know I really like Jonas's character I think I was I was open to him and and cautiously optimistic heading into season 6 and it was episodes like Descent and Cure that I thought we re- really serviced Jonas's character well. Uh, really showed how he could he could fill that role on the team, but he was his own guy. He wasn't he wasn't going to be an attempt to be a, a carbon copy Daniel, mm-hmm. some sort of instant archaeologist out of the box. Um, mm-hmm. And he had this this exuberance and excitement and naivete about the Stargate program and the Gould and everything that was going on out there that I I found refreshing and I. I really had a good time with Jonas's character and I was kind of right along there with Jack for a while that, that you want to you want to encourage the guy, he's a member of your team uh, you want to show him respect but at the same time he's, he's got to prove himself remember Daniel mm-hmm. proved himself to Jack very early on um, back in the movie when they when they took care of Ra Daniel was proving himself as a member of the team mm-hmm. uh, so exactly. it's going to take Jonas a while to do that, I thought the character worked overall uh, in season six, and then when season seven rolled around, and and uh, we had the two-part premiere, Fallen and Homecoming, I was disappointed, and I was disappointed that that Jonas's exit was as unceremonious as it was. It was just sort of like, well, Daniel is, is descended from from the ancients' higher plane now, and he's back on the team, so there doesn't really seem to be a place for you anymore, and you should go back to Langara.
2: Yeah, it would have been neat if they uh, would have explored that for one more episode, you know? At least given a a proper transition between the two, you know? Because, uh, understandably, he has a a place on his home world now that a new government is being established after the attack from Anubis. Mm -hmm. They just kind of say, well, he's back, and now we're going to get back to work.
1: Yeah, it, it really seems like Jonas in In those episodes in season seven that Jonas was reluctant, he felt sort of compelled by the new government that they needed him and and the warring factions on the various continents were only going to get together and start start cooperating if if he was there and um, he, you know he it seemed to me like he didn't really want to go back to Langera, so mm. it might have been nice to, to see a, a an arc over a few more episodes where he and Daniel get to work together a little more. We get a five-person team for a couple episodes, and then he gets to the point where something happens, and he feels compelled to go back. But at least he came back in Fallout for an episode. Yeah, so. Fallout was a good episode; I liked it. So overall, Jonas Quinn—did we lose him too soon, or was it was it an appropriate time for him to go? Like you said, I would have liked to have seen him stick around for a few more episodes. So
2: no, it was—I felt that it was too soon.
1: Yeah, I think it was too soon, but but you know, like you said, he was written as a replacement. For Daniel, and so it, it might have been a little difficult to maintain both of those characters and to go ahead into Season 7 with a five-person team. So I would have liked to see him for a few more episodes, but but probably not permanently. Next up is the good doctor, Janet Frazier. Janet goes back to early on in Season 1 of SG-1. What was her first episode? Broca Divide? I think it was the Broca Divide. Yeah, which was Episode 4 of Season 1. Uh, And she had a nice big role in that, and then she becomes our our main doctor uh, up until late season seven. And, of course, uh, she's killed off in Heroes Parts 1 and 2, which was a a major episode for the show, a major landmark.
2: Heroes was a very effective episode in that it was trying to say something. It was trying to say something about our military and the importance of sacrifice and uh, and the uh, – loyalty of of uh, of our team and you know what they're really trying to do in the galaxy um and unfortunately it also uh, brought about the the death of janet Fraser. you know to make its to make its point yeah. and heroes in my opinion would not have been as memorable if that had not happened
1: yeah it's it's tough to obviously to, to try and make a point like that without killing off somebody that we love and i think janet was somebody that everybody loved um uh, you know, other main characters sort of have their, their favorite fan faction that that uh watches the show mainly for that character, but Janet was was just one of those that I think everybody loved and, and liked seeing. Um Terrell Rothrew was so great um at at doing that that basic Med Center exposition and doing it with heart. And that's obviously for storytelling purposes, that's a major role. I mean Look at how much Janet got used over the course of those seasons—the the, the diagnostic stuff and all the exposition that has to happen. But she also brought a great
2: uh, female friend for Sam in the yeah. process. Yeah, you know. And as as Amanda said, you know, she she wanted she and Terrell
1: wanted to make it clear that these two were were friends and were not competitors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Janet had some some great moments off the base. I'm thinking of the beginning of Rite of Passage in season mm-hmm. 5 we get to see Janet as a mom. To, as a mom to Cassandra at their house at, at Cassandra's birthday. Uh that was yep. that was great. But looking at Heroes and the quality of that two-part episode, I it's hard to say that she left too soon. You know, it was 7 seasons. 7 seasons, man. The producers at that point, uh, I think the story is that they they were not expecting a season eight. They, when they decided to to kill her off, it was it was uh, thought that the show was going to be ending as well, so we wouldn't need to move on to to another three seasons and and have to replace our doctor. Um, yeah. So, but Heroes is so good in that is such an emotional punch. Uh, it's it's the stuff that we always say we want to see more of on Stargate, which is risk taking and surprise us. That was a huge risk, and it surprised us. But, you know, just looking at the episode, I think it's, it's really hard to say, as much as we love Janet, that, that she left too soon, that, that they, the writers got rid of her at, a, at an inappropriate time.
2: The fact of the matter is, Heroes was, in my opinion, a fantastic episode, and Seven Years is great for a, for a character, and, mm-hmm. and she came back once in, uh, in Season nine's uh, Ripple Effect, so
1: I can't complain. I thought it was very fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. As much as I hate to, to lose a character, I got to say, not too soon. Yeah. We asked uh, listeners on the forum which characters they wanted to hear us talk about. And I was actually surprised to see this next one come up um, Jack O'Neill. He's the mm. center of the show for eight years, or maybe, maybe six or seven years, depending on who you ask. But he was the center of the show, he was his, the lead guy. Rick's name was over the title. Um, did Jack O'Neill leave too soon?
2: When you take Richard Dean Anderson out of the, the equation, Richard, who I don't want to put words in his mouth, but is not a particular fan of science fiction. You know, And who wanted to raise a family. Uh, when you take him out of the equation, yes, I do think we lost Jack too soon. Hmm. Um, but Rick was ready to move on. And mm-hmm. it showed in his performance, mm-hmm. you know, and you can't hold the guy hostage to that. He's, he's already successful, he can do what he wants, and he needs to go and do what he wants. He needs to raise a family, you know he needs to he needs to work on on projects that that he thinks are are important to to the future of our planet, you know you can't condemn him for that, you know yeah. we'd
1: be wrong to do so. yeah those are those real life actor actor plans and and desires and production issues aside though as far as jack o'neill goes as a character i think ultimately what we're asking is is it appropriate for stargate sg1 to continue without jack o'neill it's like asking is it appropriate for star trek to continue without captain kirk seasons nine and ten were in in many respects a, a different show even though a lot of cast members stuck around um, mm-hmm. So, I, you know, this was a really hard one for me to answer as to whether Jack left too soon because I want Stargate to continue beyond Jack O'Neill. You know, I, I am a fan of Atlantis, and I'm excited about Stargate Universe. I want to believe that the franchise can continue and, and continue to tell the stories that we love so much without this one particular character, just as Star Trek moved on from William Shatner and James T. Kirk. Well, let me tell you something. Let
2: me Let me share a little anecdote again. Yeah. Um, i 've been doing a lot of uh, work on gate world play as i 've already established but i 'm doing a lot of phenomenon stuff and and I ask fans what their favorite moments in in the franchise are. None of them talk about Atlantis, hmm. none of them talk about seasons nine and ten unless that 's all that they 've they 've had unless they joined the series at that point. All of them talk about seasons two, three, and four. The, mm-hmm. uh, in their words, like the golden age of Stargate. Jack, Sam, Daniel, and Teal'c. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. Jack Jack O'Neill hitting a golf ball through the event horizon.
2: Oh, I know. Or Daniel and Jack arguing around a bunch of retracted plants. You know? I mean, I just love it. Mm-hmm. That's what the show is to me and to a lot of people.
1: You know? Yeah. Stargate, to me, is always going to be Jack's scene with the Asgard at the end of the fifth race. And, yeah. and the Asgard say to him, we've been studying your race for, for a long time now. And, and the way that Rick delivers these lines, like he, uh, he responds to this by saying, oh, what did you learn? Just, yeah. I mean, that's Stargate to me. When we talked to Brad Wright talking about, about the next SG-1 movie, he told us that he wants the next SG-1 movie to be a Jack O'Neill story because he, he can't really imagine doing an SG-1 story without Jack O'Neill. Because he, mm-hmm. he is, if he's not Stargate, if he's not the franchise, then he, he is SG-1. So it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to do SG-1, and as much as I enjoyed the Ori story arc in the last two seasons, uh, I gotta say, SG-1 is it's just not the same without Jack O'Neill.
2: No. I completely agree.
1: So Jack O'Neill, too soon or not too soon?
2: Jack O'Neill, the character, too soon. Richard Dean Anderson, the actor, not too soon.
1: Yep, In agree. fact,
2: I think they should have let him go when he wanted to leave.
1: I agree, and I th- I think Jack O'Neill left too soon, but unfortunately I think that he left at the beginning of Season 8 after New Order. I think he was pretty much gone. You see, I saw him as
2: gone after Season 6. That was just my barometer take on it.
1: Let's switch over and talk about Atlantis now. Um, before we get into the big, the big main characters who have been written off the show... Uh, actually, a lot of our listeners said uh, that they want to hear us talk about Peter Groden. Ah, if, Craig Veroni's character. If you're not a religious viewer of Atlantis from from the first episode, who the heck is Peter Groden? Peter Groden was a British scientist assigned to
2: the Atlantis expedition, and played by Canadian actor Craig Veroni. great guy. Um, and he was uh, essentially the uh, the doorman for. Uh, for Atlantis Command, so he did a lot of the the dialing sequence before uh, uh, Chuck Campbell came in as Chuck you know well Chuck Campbell came in early in in the season
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, but uh, he was he was basically uh, another Zelenka
1: yeah, he was kind of a backup scientist guy who was often in these in these analytical sciencey dialogue scenes with Zelenka and McKay trying to explain things to Shepard and Weir. So mm-hmm. I guess I guess in that respect, he was especially with keeping Zelenka around. Groden as a scientist was a, maybe a bit superfluous for storytelling purposes. Well, it was superfluous enough that it, they uh, were they knocked him off in uh, siege part one. <laughs> yeah, at the end of season one of Atlantis, and um, I was I was kind of surprised. I mean, obviously it was it was supposed to be a surprise because this guy had been an original member of the Atlantis Expedition. He showed up really early on in Rising, the show's premiere, and he was there uh, p- pretty present throughout all of season one.
2: Right. He had the first line of dialogue in, in Rising, um, aside from a guy over the comm in the background. Mm. That was a, I, I enjoyed that character. But did he
1: leave too soon? Did he leave too soon? Was there more potential for his character? I mean, it, it, he, was, he was pretty two-dimensional. He wasn't around long enough to be fleshed out uh, as thoroughly as a supporting character like Janet Frazier. Uh, so, he's I mean, any character you could do more with, you could tell stories about, uh, but he was really supporting and really like kind of even behind Zelenka. As, and Zelenka was a supporting character. He was not a member of the main team. Uh, and David Nichols, not, obviously not a member of the main cast. And then Grodin was sort of that third level even behind him. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I can't say that he left too soon. I think it was it was nice to have a familiar face that we knew and loved get knocked off by the Wraith as they were marching towards Atlantis to wipe us out.
2: I'm going to defer with you on, on, on this one, because although
1: I will agree that
2: uh, he didn't get enough character development to really become valuable, but I do think that he left too soon. I, um, I, I, I loved the reaction that I got from watching him blow up in Siege 1, you know, that, that was that was on purpose. You know, that was that was a, a feeling that knocked around right in my gut. Ooh, Grodin's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would like to have seen him more. I do think we lost him too soon. But we lost him early enough that uh, the character didn't develop so much where there were huge
1: campaigns to bring him back. Next up is Lieutenant Aiden Ford. Ford was a member of Shepard's team from uh, the first episode of Stargate Atlantis. Uh, he was there for all of season 1 and then uh, season 2 rolls around and the producers decided to write him off the show. Now what do you think of this character from the beginning? He's he's um he's an SGC vet. He he'd served at Stargate Command for a little while before the Atlantis expedition, but you know, he's he's kind of happy-go-lucky and he's the enthusiastic young young munitions officer, explosives expert. The the only real piece of data that we had on him
2: was, I mean, by observing the the pilot was that he was a weapons specialist and that he was previously with Stargate Command, as Sumner and and pr- many of the others appeared to be, but mm-hmm. they never explored that, and that could have been a lot of interesting potential there. You see what unit Ford was with, SG fifteen, you know, whatever. Um, what led to his being promoted to the Atlantis expedition? Some of the problems that he had had a- as member of an SG team. Um, they just never went there, Mm -hmm. you know, and there were chances to explore Ford's character like in home, which were simply ignored, uh, in favor of other characters like McKay and Shepard. It's, it's kind of hard for me to be objective because Rainbow Sun Franks is a personal friend of mine. Yeah. Um, but I do think that. Um, this character left way too soon and was never given a chance.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think that he was really used to his full potential in the first season, but the first season of a show, obviously, there's a whole lot of ground to cover, a whole lot of feet to be found uh, under the show and, and, and trying to service the characters. Um, he, he's the sort of character who you would expect, well, okay, they're going to get to him in Season 2, and we're finally exactly. we're going to learn who this guy is and really what makes him tick. I mean, there's a lot about uh, a character like Teal'c that we didn't really get to know, aside from episodes like um, Bloodlines and Korai in Season 1 of SG-1. Uh, mm-hmm. Teal'c, Teal'c was a big mystery uh, until we got to Season 2 and, and started to learn a little bit more about what makes him tick. Maybe not season two specifically, but in later years, as as he kind of comes out of his shell. Season one of a show is basically a get out of jail free card, you know. If they don't
2: do well, but you don't eliminate one of your characters at the very beginning of season two and start over with someone else, you know, you just that, that there's no chance for that character at that at that point. Of course, they're not going to be fantastic, you know. Of course, they're not going to work completely yet. They're not supposed to. There's only twenty episodes under their belt.
1: Yeah, Ford had kind of an everyman character that I really liked. You know, he was a kid. He was kind of happy-go-lucky. He was he was obviously the youngest guy on the team, on Shepard's team. Mm-hmm. And um, I th- I thought there was a lot there that I wanted to see, and I wanted to see what they did. And it was it was the decision to to write him off, and the way that they the story they came about for writing him off uh, that I thought really started to make the character interesting. Uh, yeah, and then it it kind of didn't. Go anywhere. Okay, so in in season two premiere, the siege part three, uh, he gets he gets attacked by a wraith and fed on, and then the wraith uh, gets killed. Uh, there's a there's a grenade explosion, and so all the 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 enzyme that the wraith uses to feed gets juiced into Ford. Ford gets hyped up on this wraith enzyme that, mm-hmm. that makes him, you know, gives him superpowers basically, makes him faster and stronger, and and also. Mm-hmm paranoid and and a little bit insane um and then he he thinks that Atlantis is against him and he ends up stealing a puddle jumper and leaving that's fantastic you're taking a main character and you're you're doing something really bold and interesting with him oh yeah it was his most interesting episode at that point yeah but it was for the for the sake of getting rid of him yeah i mean do you think that they would have done that if he was going to be around as a as a full-time cast member still no yeah. No, it was that that puddle
2: jumper was his his way out of the show, unfortunately. And they tried some things, and Rainbow was particularly excited about them, but for one reason or another, they just didn't work. Lost Boys and the Hive, in my opinion,
1: uh, was was Atlantis's weakest two parter. Hmm. So I don't know. I was also very disappointed in the way that they left Ford's character hanging. Uh he, yeah. he kinda rescues the team and helps them to get off the hive uh and and does the self sacrifice heroic act and then it's left hanging. The hive explodes and we don't know if he made it off. So he might still be out there alive somewhere. Uh or he might be dead. He might have died in that in that hive explosion and we just don't know. To to have that character out there who is a main character who we got invested in from the very beginning with this show, mm-hmm. to have that not resolved at all, to not even know if the guy's alive. I find that pretty unsatisfying as a viewer. Do I ne- even need to ask, Ford, did he leave too soon? Left too soon. I agree, he left, he left too soon. This, was, this is a sore spot for, for you and I both, I think. This is a, a, a disappointment. hmm Carson Beckett, the good old Scottish doctor, was... Uh, I think it was a, he was kind of the breakout character of the pilot. Yeah, he was. You know, that was... Uh, I mean, even Peter
2: Deloys. we were talking with him, you know, he... He's he's one of the guys, you know, he just he demanded to to be brought in there, you know, as one of the team uh, on on a a full time basis. And, And every time that that Paul comes back, you know, I mean, Tammy sings his praises and she's right. You know, he just he's the glue that that holds that whole group together. In my opinion, you know, when when he comes in there, he makes that episode work. Yeah, so. Carson
1: was always just a lovable teddy bear of a doctor. Um, he wore his heart on his sleeve. He's you know, got the got the great Scottish accent. One of my favorite memories of Beckett is at the beginning of the second episode after the pilot, hide and seek, where he's giving McKay the uh the ATA gene injection. Uh and he, he they just have the little banter and, and Beckett gets ready to stab him and says, Here do we go Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> just st- little stuff like that that just make you love the character and then we get to season three's Sunday and it's kind of this laid back episode where it's everybody's day off and you know Weir's kissing a boy and Shepard's going golfing and mm-hmm. Rodney's planning a picnic and then this guy that we all kind of love again like, like Janet we all kind of love this this guy he dies
2: and it's it's kind of heartbreaking that way in that way because he he for 10 minutes of the episode or whatever it was five um he was trying to find someone to hang out with and in the end you know he gets called back to work and blows up yeah so sunday i, I you and i kind of differ in our opinion on sunday I, I think i liked it a little bit more than you did sunday for me was what atlantis could be at its best kind of like heroes was for sg1 mm. a lot like it um and was was very cool a breakout episode in my opinion served with the death of Carson it wouldn't have been nearly as interesting had that not happened
1: yeah uh, I mean obviously character deaths and and deaths of major cast members major characters are always powerful but uh, I don't know if they're always necessary it's this mm. is this has been kind of intensified for me since Carson came back since we've had clone Carson since uh, season four's two parter the Kindred. It cheapens Sunday it cheapens sunday it cheapens the entire decision to write out the character because now he's back, and I think that's interesting. I think that the the fact that they found a clone and Michael created him and and then we had to stick him on ice until we could figure out a way to cure him uh and now he's back, but he's he's our Carson, but he's not our Carson, which was dealt with a little bit early on um I think that's interesting i'm I'm glad they brought him back, but yeah, it cheapens his death, and it makes you say, well. Why? Why'd you get rid of him in the first place? It, it seems mm-hmm. like there are behind-the-scenes network political issues about getting rid of of Paul's character that haven't been explained and are probably never going to be explained to the fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it just feels like like a, a great big, you know, what the heck? Why? Yeah, Why did you even bother doing that? I mean, I was mad. Right. I was I was upset when Carson died in Sunday. Um, so now to to have the question mark over that as to to not only did this happen, but it seems to be kind of pointless in terms of the story, uh, just makes it worse. I have not watched Sunday
2: since Carson's return. Sunday always had me in tears every time I would watch it, and now I don't think it will
1: mm-hmm.
2: and isn't that sad you mm-hmm. know that that it it changed like that um, it's it, The impact is is no longer there. No, which is a shame in my opinion. You know, because it was something that was really, really
1: cool. Well, so did Carson Beckett leave too soon?
2: Yeah, I think so. I I, I would have um, liked to have seen him grow like Janet did. You know, I think that would have been cool. I I would have taken Carson over over some of the um,
1: some of the regulars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I um, I do. I agree. I think he left too soon. I I think Sunday is is has that punch because it is the death of a a major and beloved character. Um, but it feels, I don't know, it feels kind of like a cheap punch in the gut to me. Uh, maybe that's just because he, they brought him back. Uh, I think he never should have left in the first place. Last, but most certainly not least, is the original commander of the Atlantis expedition, Dr. Elizabeth Weir. Now played by three different actresses. <laughs> yeah. She was introduced in uh, the season 7 finale of SG-1, Lost City, Played then by yep. Jessica Stein, uh, and then when uh, they came back for season eight, uh, in new order, she was uh, obviously had been recast with uh, Tori Higginson. So Tori played played Weir in the conclusion to Lost City, in new order, uh, and then headed off to Atlantis. And she was there for three years, and then uh, Weir was written off the show. Interesting blaze of glory,
2: and in, in that you know we weren't ever sure whether she was really dead or not, and then. Tori decided not to return in Season 5 mm-hmm. to resolve the explanation of what that was at the end of Season four's Be All My Sins Remembered. Yeah, she piloting seems to be the, uh, ship. hanging
1: out with replicators now. Right, exactly. After we and thought then, she was dead. I, I loved her character. I love the fact that they decided to have Atlantis commanded by a woman. Uh, by mm-hmm. by a civilian who was a, a linguist and a diplomat, uh, she she negotiated treaties for the UN and and all the stuff. I wanted to see her go off world more. You know, we saw her go off world mm-hmm. and get to negotiate with some of these planets that we were coming across, like in season two's "Condemned." Uh, she got to go off world and and have a have a nice part of that story. Uh, I wish that. She would have been used more in that way, but the way she was used, I I liked her character a lot. I liked uh, some of the episodes in those first three years of Atlantis that I liked the most. I mm-hmm. think were were very weird, heavy. I loved yeah. "Before I Sleep" in season one. My favorite episode of season one that really uh, sort of turned turned the corner for Atlantis uh, early on. Uh, I loved the the real world in season three. In my opinion, it wasn't that
2: the 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 turns that they made on the on the Elizabeth Weir highway were not right ones. it's just that they didn't make enough of them some Some may say you know that that the Weir character wasn't working in my opinion, the Weir character wasn't really given a great deal of chance, you know. In in the average episode, they they played her much more like a Hammond than uh, an active participant of the uh, team. You know, I mean mm-hmm. Hammond in in seven years, Hammond had what one episode, two, where he was a highlight and wasn't even featured heavily in like chain reaction. You know, where I mean, he was the catalyst, but you know that wasn't yeah. wasn't really present for that a lot, even though it was about him. You know, it kind of felt to me like where was playing it that way and. You know, I, I don't. I can't imagine what that must be like for for an actress who who wants to to do some
1: variety. Well, you know, I so. I asked Tori the first time that I got to interview her was early on in season one before the show had premiered in two thousand four. Yeah, uh, and I asked her, "Is this character going to be kind of the Hammond of Atlantis? Is she going to sit in the conference room and give the team their mission and then?" We'll just see her when it's when it's time to make those those big decisions to to further the plot. Or is she going to to kind of get involved and be more of a of a team member? Uh, and she told me she didn't she didn't really know. It was it was kind of up to what's the next script's going to look like and how are the writers going to start using mm-hmm. the character? And yeah, mm-hmm. I wish I wish that they would have used her a little a little bit more as a team member and a little bit less as the stay at home general figure. I do think that this character was lost too soon. I agree. She was she was lost too soon. And, you know, as much as as I've really enjoyed the episodes that have been done, the stories that have been told in seasons four and five of Atlantis, when I look back on Atlantis in ten years, I'm going to remember Weir. I'm going to remember the first three seasons of the show, I think. Listener Mail.
2: We have a few items from the Listener Mail bag this week. Darren, who's our first submission from?
1: The first one's from Tom. We asked listeners last week to uh, basically answer this question. Who are the characters that you thought that that we lost too soon? Uh, And Tom says, Janet Frazier's that character. Uh, He says, I've only watched Heroes 1 and 2 once, and that was when they were first aired. Uh, Those episodes pissed me off. Even though they had the other world, Janet, in a later season, it was just not the same.
2: Mm, Interesting perspective. Lithus Rose says, I was very disappointed when they wrote Jonas out. I tuned in for quite a while to see if they'd bring him back, but they never did. He was a great character, and I learned to appreciate him, even though Daniel had been my favorite character. Sounds like Lithus
1: Rose didn't stay around long enough for Fallout. Hmm. Wupo writes, "Uh, It would have to be Jack O'Neill, and I mean when he left SG-1. The end of Season 7 was hard to take. Colonel O'Neill, for all intents and purposes, was gone, as well as General Hammond and Dr. Frazier. Isn't that about 50% of the core cast? SG1, after season 7, was still my favorite show on television, but it was a couple of pegs less than what it had been.
2: The timbre of the show really changed, for better or for worse.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't just the death of Janet Frazier, and it wasn't just the promotion of, of O'Neill to general. It was Hammond was gone, and, and those three together. I mean, you're right. If you if you count Terrell as the main part of the cast, then uh, that's, that's
2: 50%. Robert Carter says, Lieutenant Ford. I'll be the first to admit that he whined at the start, but after he got juiced up with the enzyme, the options for his character multiplied. He was a man with strong ties to the Atlantis team. He had military knowledge of the city and was shot by McKay and was the first real look at what a wraith-human hybrid could be before Michael. I never saw him die, and as far as I know, his death was only presumed. There really isn't an excuse for not bringing Ford back.
1: And finally, Silver Comet writes, I still miss Weir and the original Beckett. These were not only two very likable characters, I also think they brought a special chemistry to the members of Shepard's team. And I'm sure there would have been some stories to explore, especially for Weir and Beckett. For example, we're being more involved in off-world missions, and for Beckett, with Michael and the Hoffman drug. It's just not the same with Clone Carson, not because he is a clone, but because it feels like he isn't a real Atlantis member anymore. Yeah, he kind of drops by to say hey or help us out with the problem. Well, thanks to everybody for writing in this week. Here's this week's listener question. We want you to call the podcast hotline or post over on the forum. We'll be talking a little bit about the Wraith hybrid Michael next week. What do you think of this character? What do you like or dislike about Michael and how his character has been used over the last few years? What makes Michael a good villain for Atlantis? Coming up on the Gate World Podcast, November 11th, we're talking about this Friday's new episode of Atlantis, The Prodigal. November 18th, we'll be talking about Remnants, episode 15. And on November 25th, it's Brainstorm. Thanks for joining me and David for the podcast again this week. Again, we want to hear from you. Just call the podcast hotline at 616-712-1647 or post on the podcast feedback thread. Give us uh, your answer to this week's listener question or just tell us about anything Stargate-related that's on your mind. In this episode of the podcast, we talked about those characters from Stargate SG-1 and Stargate Atlantis that we lost too soon. We also previewed our interview with Legends Memorabilia's Paul Brown. And for links to everything we talked about today, head to GateWorld and look for the episode number 17 show notes. From GateWorld.net, this is Darren Sumner. And I'm David Reed. And you've been listening to the GateWorld Podcast.